0: You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right. I am not preaching to you guys this evening. You're welcome. Um, Instead, uh, for the next four weeks, we've got uh, four different men. Two of them are our own. Two of them are not uh, from this church but they're going to be preaching to you on various subjects. What I ask them to do is preach uh, to, to, to preach a sermon that's very near and, and, and dear to their heart. And, and often, um, at least with a couple of them, I ask them to preach on things that we talk about together a lot. Um, so this is my brother, good brother, Pastor Mike Mounts of Harrison Free Will Baptist Church in Minford. And I didn't stutter. It is the Free Will Baptist Church in Minford. Um, right, he's a card-carrying Arminian, and he is my brother, and I love him so much. Uh, I call him like the the, the free will Baptist John MacArthur of Scioto County. I'm dead serious. He's an expositor. This brother studies the word. He loves the word. And what he and I talk about the most is the sufficiency of the word of God. And that's what I asked him to speak to you guys about. So give him all the attention, more attention even than you would give to me. Uh, So with nothing else to say, this is my brother, Pastor Mike Mounts. Please welcome him. I'm very excited.
1: Well, thank you. I was going to start out by by telling a joke, and I don't normally do that. Uh, but can I... Would you just be patient with me just for a moment? Uh, there were these two pastors. One was a Calvinist. <laughs> the other one was an Arminian. And uh, by God's sovereignty and man's free will (laughs) they met each other at uh, uh, the mini mart in minford at uh, 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 mule town and uh, that's been 10 years ago and by the way it is not a joke it's reality and uh, david and i met and we started talking and uh Even though we don't get to spend a whole lot of time together, we do spend a lot of time talking on the phone with each other and texting occasionally. And David has become a a very, very dear friend. And I I appreciate him. And I do appreciate his love for God, his love for God's Word, and his love for for you. Uh, You can tell, I can tell, that he truly has... A pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart, and uh, I do appreciate David this opportunity to share with your people tonight from God's word tonight we will be looking at the sufficiency of the scriptures, and uh, let me just mention just in way of of introduction um, we're going to be looking at selected passages of scripture this evening and uh And along that line, please be patient with me, uh, if you would, please. But last year, about about this time, I did a series at at the Harrison Church, and the title of it was Seven Essentials of a Renewed Church. Seven Essentials of a Renewed Church. And I would like to share just, just a brief excerpt of the first message that I preached. Again, this has been about a year ago. Although it comes as no consolation, from all that I've read, many pastors and churches across the United States are struggling and are merely in survival mode. Now, you wouldn't know anything about that, but that, that, is, that is actually true across America. But upon the basis of God's holy and authoritative word, and upon the basis of our risen Savior and Lord... And upon the basis of the example of the first century church described in the book of Acts and its emphasis on the word of God, the spirit of God, prayer, fellowship, and witnessing their faith, we have every reason and resource to be a renewed, re-energized, and refocused church for the glory of God. I shared that with our people About a year ago. Let me say that today, even in the midst of this pandemic and such uncertainty, you and I still have every reason and every resource to be a renewed, re energized, and refocused church for the glory of God. This is the list of the seven essentials that I shared with our church. This is the order, the sequence that that I preach them. First of all, a renewed plea for repentance. Secondly, a renewed pattern in prayer. Thirdly, a renewed place for God's word. Fourthly, a renewed perspective on worship. Number five, a renewed power for service. Number six, a renewed passion for the lost. And number seven, a renewed pledge to Christ and his church. Tonight, we will focus on a renewed place for God's word. And primarily, we will be looking at the sufficiency of the scriptures. But before we do, I want to remind us all of something tonight. And I think that we need to be reminded of it, that God's word has always been under attack. But it appears to me that it's even under more attack than ever before. You see, Satan will try every trick in the book to get man to doubt, dilute, deny, and even try to destroy the word of God. And although as evangelical believers we don't like that, at the same time it shouldn't surprise us. Just consider, if you would, what's happening right here in the United States. Take, if you would, for instance, the Constitution of the United States. Now, it isn't the word of God, but let's just consider, if you would, if we would just for a moment. There are those who believe that the best way to interpret the Constitution is to determine how the framers intended the Constitution to be interpreted. And those who take this view are called originalists. Is that right? They consider that the original intent—that the original intent—is to be the purest way of, an inter- of interpreting the Constitution. Of course, many conservatives, be it, be it in the church or even politicians in politics, they desire to see originalist judges appointed to the Supreme Court, such as Amy Coney Barrett was just this past week. And, of course, why do we think that the pro-choice group is so adamant in opposing originalist judges? Because they're afraid that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. The liberals today, secular and secular universities, professors, politicians, and so forth, view the Constitution as being stale and irrelevant to modern life and the present culture. In other words, they say that the Constitution today is antiquated. They believe that its interpretation is flexible, that it changes over time, and it's based on the present-day morals and beliefs of society and culture rather than what the original writers intended. What's the outcome? Human secularism, moral relativism, lawlessness, anarchy, disrespect and contempt for authority, abortion, same-sex marriage, and on and on it goes. We're living in the days just as Jeremiah the prophet described the people of Judah in his day. At least eight times Jeremiah mentions that they walked according to the dictates or the imaginations of their own hearts. It's like the days of the judges when everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. In the same way, God's word is under attack today. God's word is viewed as irrelevant. It's viewed as outdated Liberal theologians say that it should be interpreted in light of our present-day culture and not based on the intent of the writers who wrote it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You see, God's Word is always timely and timeless because God Himself transcends time. Is that right? And doesn't it just make sense that if God who is eternal and God who is omniscient is going to give man a book, that he would be able to give one book that would be relevant and applicable to all time? Doesn't that just make sense? But what troubles me, and I I need to address this this evening, is when there are those within the so-called evangelical church who question the full sufficiency and final authority of the scriptures. They pick and choose what they like. And if they don't like it, they simply ignore it. When the words from the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah were being read to King Jehoiakim of the coming judgment upon Judah, the king took a knife and he cut up the scroll and he cast it into the fire. And I wish to remind every one of us this evening the same Word of God that comforts us is the same Word of God that also convicts us. And that which convicts us, and God's Word should and ought to convict us at times, that which convicts us must not be discarded, it must not be diluted. It must not be distorted so to somehow make us feel better about ourselves. And we must never ever twist or tamper with the scriptures to try to make them fit our lifestyle, our own personal opinions. God forbid. Can I give you just a little ditty? It's alliterated to help us perhaps remember it a little better before we go any further. Yes, God's word confronts us, and God's word convicts us. But it also corrects us. It also cleanses us. It also changes us. It also comforts us, and it cheers us on. If what I hold in my hand tonight is not the inspired, infallible, and inerrant word of God... Timely and timeless for all time, then why are we even here this evening? Just absolutely makes no sense, does it? What's the purpose of even preaching an outdated or a so-called outdated or irrelevant book? Who and what is the authority if we can just pick and choose what we like and agree with and then end up just simply discarding or ignoring the rest. But if this is truly the inspired and infallible and inerrant word of God, and it is timely and timeless throughout all time, then each of us here this evening we are accountable as to how we respond to holy God and to his holy written word even this very moment. Let's look if we would at Uh, An outline here that, again, I shared with our people. And I've shared this with them more than one time, but again, about this time last year. And let's look at some characteristics of the Word of God. First of all, God's Word is inspired. God's Word is inspired. To refute the teaching of the false prophets of his day, the Apostle Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 1, verse 21, that the scriptures did not originate through the compilation of human thought or merely human opinion or argument. And Peter declares, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God's word is inspired. Paul writes he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means the Scriptures are God-breathed. And because the Scriptures are God-breathed, therefore God's Word is continually alive. God's Word is continually dynamic. There's absolutely no other book like this. It is God-breathed. It is inspired. Secondly, God's word is inerrant. That means there is total agreement and continuity in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. The church refers to Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books, as the canon of the scriptures. And that they, the Sixty-six books are the only authoritative rule of faith and practice for the church. The word canon, C-A-N-O-N, comes from a word denoting a reed or a cane. It refers to something that is, is straight. But it also refers to that which is used as a rule or a ruler. A measuring stick. A measuring rod. You see, you and I, we do not measure or interpret the word of God by our experiences. Rather, we are to measure and interpret our experiences by the word of God. This is our measuring rod. This is our ruler. Everything we hear, everything we see, we are to measure it by God's word. Its measurements are always the same. They never change. I am to what I see, what I hear, I am to always sift it through the word of God. It is our measuring rod. It is our measuring stick. God's word is inspired. God's word is inerrant. Thirdly, God's word is infallible. God's word is sure. It is dependable. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. I don't know how many of you, and perhaps maybe maybe none of you are familiar with uh, the songwriter um, Bill Gaither. Uh, Bill Gaither is popular when it comes to southern gospel-type music and such, but he wrote a song many, several years ago, and I was just discussing with a a pastor friend of mine this past week about whether or not that Gaither was truly a theologian. Well, some of the songs that he's written, you kind of wonder. But many years ago, and by the way, he has written some good songs, solid songs, But several years ago, Gaither wrote a song, and it was titled, God Said It, and I Believe It, and That Settles It for Me. And the truth of the matter is, God said it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. God said it, and that settles it. Fourthly, God's word is incorruptible. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, the apostle Peter wrote that we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. God's word lives and abides forever. It is incorruptible. It is forever settled in heaven. But also God's word is inexhaustible. That means there is no end to its truths. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that the scriptures continually are being written. The canon of scriptures were closed around 95 AD when when the apostle John was on the Isle of Patmos and he wrote for us the book of the Revelation. But there's no end to its truths. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, and I quote, he said, The Bible is a very large book. He said, it's a long book. He said, take the epistles, how expansive they are. They open our vistas. They stimulate the imagination and lead us into an ever expanding, into ever-expanding realms. He said, there is always growth and development. You know how it is. I have a daily Bible reading schedule that I use every day. If for some reason something comes up and I'm not able to to do that particular daily Bible reading schedule, and you know how it is, sometimes things do come up. I always catch up, but I have that daily Bible reading schedule. I read an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. Try once again every day. I don't know how many years I've been doing that. You probably do it as well in your Bible reading, your devotional time. But it's interesting how many ever times I've read the Bible through, I discover that God's word is inexhaustible. I go to it, passages I have read before, passages that I may even be quite familiar with, It's absolutely amazing how through the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, he turns the light on the word of God. And I see it like I've never seen it before. He turns the light on the scriptures. God's word is inexhaustible. Number six, God's word is indispensable. That is, God's word is absolutely necessary. It is essential You're familiar with this. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, he brought this Old Testament verse out of the book of Deuteronomy, and he quoted it, and he said to Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word is indispensable. I shared with our people this morning, and I quoted the verse from the Beatitudes when Jesus said that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. I don't know how many meals you eat a day, but I would imagine you at least, most of you eat at least one meal a day. Is that correct? And some of you may make it a point, you know, you have to have those three square meals a day. But how many ever meals we have on one particular day, the next morning we get up and even though we had that meal or those meals that day, we wake up the next morning and guess what? Our stomachs are growling, is that right? Correct? And we're hungry again. Well, I go to the word of God and I hunger and thirst to hear from God through his word and he fills me. But you know what I've discovered? I get hungry again, and I want to hear from God once again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm filled, but I get hungry again, and I want to hear from God through his word. What a privilege to hear from God through his word. Fred Warner, who is a tremendous friend of mine who lives in, In Nashville, Tennessee, outside of Nashville, this is a quote from him. He said, man cannot be saved or survive spiritually apart from the word of God. This is how we hear from him. And if we want to hear from him, we listen to him, we read the scriptures ourselves, Whether in a class or the preaching of God's word, we hear from him. That's how he talks to us. We talk to him as we pray and commune with him, our Heavenly Father. God's word is indispensable. Number seven, God's word is indestructible. Psalm 119.89, I've already referenced this. The psalmist wrote, forever, O Lord, your word is settled, or it stands firm in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 24.35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. No matter how the world, this godless world and this godless world system will try its best to do away with the word of God. If you were to destroy all the Bibles across this planet, if you were to somehow get rid of it in regard, in, on, the, on the computer, no matter what means, on the phone, it, you know what, we have so much access to the scriptures, don't we? I mean, they're, they're readily available. I use my phone all the time to pull up a particular scripture that's on my mind. But if somehow or another the world decided, let's just, let's just get rid of them all, the psalmist said God's word is forever settled in heaven. It doesn't change it. Number eight, God's word is inclusive. Let's look, if you would, at Psalm 19. And what that means is God's word contains everything we need. In other words, it is fully and completely sufficient It takes care of every aspect of life. Psalm Psalm 19, and let's look if we would at verses 7 to 11. Verses 1 to 6, the the scripture that we read, this references general or natural revelation. God has revealed himself through creation. We find that in Romans chapter 1. Paul declares that that God has revealed himself to to a point, to a point in regards to creation. That's natural revelation. That is general revelation. But then we come to verse 7, and David begins to speak about special revelation, the Scriptures. He writes, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Notice all the different different words that he uses to describe God's word, but at the same time different aspects of God's word. He said the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. And verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. God's word contains everything we need. It is fully and completely sufficient. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in Second Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, this young man Timothy, when Paul writes this this letter, this second letter, even the first letter to Timothy, Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And note what the apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. He said to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing that from whom you have learned them And that from childhood, from his mother and his grandmother, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for unto salvation, for or unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The scripture that we're all familiar with, Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, it's God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. That has to do with sanctification, growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scriptures provide all that we need for salvation, regarding when we initially come to Christ. It provides all that we need in regards to sanctification, that we grow and mature in Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And it provides everything we need in regards to our service or exercising or ministering spiritual gifts. And then lastly, God's word is to be internalized. That was mentioned in the prayer this evening. That God's word is to be internalized. You see, to get it off the page and into our hearts and into our lives, to so get in the word of God to where it it rubs off on us, God's word is to be internalized. It's to be appropriated. It's to be assimilated. It's to be applied to our lives. Ezekiel, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, in a vision, he was commanded to eat the scroll. God's word is to be assimilated. Also in a vision, John was commanded to eat the book. Again, God's word is to be internalized. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, said, Your words were found and I ate them your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I am called by your name O Lord God of hosts let me just say that granted I understand it in regards to how busy our lives can be sometimes the challenge can be just finding time to open up God's word and read it because we are so busy that's a challenge, but I think ultimately the challenge is getting it off the page and assimilating it in our hearts and in our lives. Listen to the words of James. James writes, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, And receive with meekness the implanted or the engrafted word. That is a word picture, engrafted word. Which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You see, it's not enough just to read it. It's not enough to just hear it. But we're to be doers of the word And not hearers only. In Jewish thought, hearing and obeying. In Jewish thought, hearing and obeying are synonymous. In fact, many times in the Old Testament scriptures, they're even used interchangeably. But that should come as no surprise for us as believers. Isn't that the way it should be for all of us? Hearing and obeying... But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And let me just mention this, and we've heard this. But rather than the believer thinking positively, the believer is to think biblically with a biblical Christian worldview. There's a big difference of thinking positively and thinking biblically biblical Christian world view. How you and I, how you and I respond to God's word reflects what we truly believe to be true concerning God's word. You see, God's word is to go beyond the intellect. It doesn't mean that we don't use our minds when we read God's word and we process truths in our minds. It doesn't mean that, but it goes beyond the intellect. God's word goes beyond the emotions. And it's to truly touch touch our will. That is what we do with it, how we respond to it. And this is a question that we all need to answer. Every one of us. Does God's word truly move us to action? It's meant to. That's God's intention. Not just to hear it. Not just to read it. Not to where it just simply touches our mind and our intellect or emotions. But it touches our will. And we respond accordingly. And let me just say, and I'm going to be as kind as I possibly can be. If any of us can listen to the word of God week after week. That is any of us. If we can listen and hear the word of God week after week. Without it troubling our hearts and our souls at times, then there's something terribly wrong in our lives and in our hearts. But what joy it brings when we respond to God's word, when we obey God's word. I want to close, and you're always, I'm sure every congregation is glad to hear that phrase. We're going to close. But I want to close with this description of the Bible. This particular description was found on the flyleaf of an an old Bible. In fact, it's it's anonymous. But it reminds us of the sufficiency of the Scriptures and our responsibility to the Scriptures. This is what, obviously, a believer wrote in the flyleaf of their Bible Describing God's word. This book, the Bible, it contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. In this book, God's Word, heaven is open and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is the grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, health to the soul, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you here in this life. It will be opened at the judgment, and it is established forever. It involves the highest responsibility. It will reward the greatest labor, and it will condemn all who trifle with its contents. There's no other book like it. I know we're going to sing this I believe but let me close with this how firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word what more can he what more can God say than to you he hath said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. The sufficiency of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, thank you for our time together, our fellowship of worship. We thank you for this opportunity to hear from you and to worship you. God, as we've opened your word together, And Father, I pray that in our own hearts individually, that each and every one of us would respond accordingly to what we have heard this evening. God, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that we have it preserved for us today, down through the course of history, down through the course of time. God, we thank you, Father, that there have actually been men and women, followers of Christ, who are willing to give their lives so that we might have this book preserved for us today. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their courage and their boldness. Now, Father, may we be faithful. May we be courageous. May we be bold as we stand upon your eternal word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.